Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. We've graduated to Matthew 6. Jesus says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Uh, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Can you say amen? Amen. So we are, uh, we are, we don't do series in here. We haven't done a series in quite a while, although we have done uh, kind of, we're just topically, we kind of seem like we gravitate towards places for a certain amount of time, but we don't want it to be messages where you need to have heard like the last four in order to understand. Um, but we have been kind of talking, I guess, about the Sermon on the Mount, at least that's where we've been in the past. The Sermon on the Mount is the time in the Bible where Jesus talks for the longest. It's his longest recorded sermon. And in a world that has become increasingly more self-destructive, uh, Jesus comes and he teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount of way of living, uh, where it doesn't result in us killing ourselves and killing each other. In fact, you could say this, that maybe the Sermon on the Mount for the Christian is the constitution of the kingdom of God. And uh, there's no way to understand who Jesus really was and what his ministry is about if you don't take the Sermon on the Mount really seriously. My title tonight is this, Playing to the Crowd. Look at that, Playing to the Crowd. Uh, How many of you have ever heard that phrase before, Playing to the Crowd? Quite a few of you. Some of you haven't, but it's it's like a phrase. And what it means is this. I looked up the definition online. I thought it was kind of funny. Playing to the crowd means this, to appeal to the least sophisticated part of an audience in order to get maximum approval. I like it because it's funny and it's also kind of an insult. So... But if there was a band and they're just really maybe even too aware of the crowd and how the crowd would be responding to them, they might accuse the band of playing too much to the crowd, where really what they're doing is ultimately about the people who are uh, looking on. And so I want to talk about, we've reached the part of the Sermon on the Mount Uh, Matthew chapter 6, we've reached the part where Jesus turns his attention really sharply uh, towards hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is a big, um, scary word. I think it's one of the most overused words when people uh, from the outside of Christianity are kind of looking in. Uh, They like to call us hypocrites. Once we're on the inside, we like to call each other heretics. It's kind of similar. We love that one. But on the outside, they love calling us hypocrites. I think it's a deeply um, overused and maybe misunderstood uh, word, but it's a word that Jesus uses, so we need to take it seriously. When Jesus introduces the idea of hypocrisy in the Sermon on the Mount, he has, uh, I guess he uses maybe in this reading that we read, he uses two Greek references to, get ready for this, the theater. He starts talking about the theater, uh, and it's, in, it's a Greek phrase, and the Greeks, uh, if you will recall, if maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't, but the Greeks were the ones who really invented drama. They were the original drama kings and queens. They invented drama. They invented uh, theater. They were the ones who really uh, invented uh, the idea of doing plays where there's actors and they get in character and they change who they are to do this type of performance. That all kind of comes from uh, the Greeks. And so Jesus uses two different Greek phrases when talking about hypocrisy. The first one is this. It was in that first part, the first verse. It says this, in order to be seen. He says, uh, and basically that comes from theater. It talks about um, somebody kind of coming and being aware of how they're coming off to the crowd. So Jesus is basically saying this, hey, don't do good things as a kind of theater, is what he's saying. And the second uh, phrase is this, as the hypocrites do. 
You've all heard that a lot of times, but the word hypocrite is actually a Greek word. Uh, when you're saying hypocrite, you're actually saying something in Greek. It hasn't been translated. It's been kind of Americanized, but it is just a Greek word, uh, hypocrite. And in modern day, it means all sorts of things. It means like maybe you say one thing and you do another is what it means a lot in, uh, in modern day English. But hypocrite back in the day in the original Greek, really all it's talking about is just simply talking about an actor on a stage is what the word hypocrite is talking about. And so there's also this connotation of kind of uh, putting on a mask for theater. I don't know if you can think back and if you can think of like they used to have the comedies and the tragedies in Greek theater. Uh, My next slide are these. I'm sure you guys probably picture those. It's kind of creepy, I think. But these are the uh, Greek comedy and tragedy masks. And so uh, when he's talking about don't be a hypocrite, really what he's talking about is he's talking about what these people do, their mental process when they turn into uh, the character on the screen. So basically, Jesus is saying this in Matthew chapter 6. He's saying don't do good stuff as a kind of theater, like an actor on a, on a stage. A little bit of speculative history. I just always find it kind of fun uh, to talk about it. So uh, a 45-minute walk from the place of Nazareth. You guys all know Nazareth. This is where Jesus grows up. This is where Jesus is a carpenter. Many people think he was kind of like a day worker or a laborer, him and his family. And so that all happens in Nazareth. And a 45-minute from, walk from there is the Greek city of Sepphoris. I have a map for you guys. I got new Bible software, you guys, so I love maps. But you can see Nazareth. That's where Jesus grows up. And you remember he went up to Cana for the water and to wine. Well, Sepphoris is just a quick 45-minute walk. And uh, in Sepphoris, they have a very famous, a world-famous Greek theater. In fact, you can still go to it uh, today. I have a picture of the Greek theater that's in Sepphoris. Next slide. Uh, I don't know who those people are, but this is, the, uh, this is the Greek theater. And so what they know about this, they don't know a lot, but they do know that this Greek theater was built in the decade before Jesus begins his earthly ministry. And, so, and they also know this, that it was built by Jewish laborers. And so, uh, so some Bible scholars, they don't know, but maybe they wonder if it's not possible that Jesus and maybe even Jesus' father Maybe even Jesus' brothers were hired as laborers in the building of this Greek uh, theater. So regardless, we understand this, that Jesus understands the idea of theater and being an actor and a playing. And he's just saying this. Jesus is warning us or instructing us in, uh, in this Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, hey, when you do good stuff, just make sure that it's not like that. That it's not that you're doing something so that other people will notice uh, how great you are. And I think hypocrisy, of course, is a super uh, misunderstood word, especially amongst cynical, skeptical people. They love to uh, accuse people of hypocrisy when they fail to live up to maybe what they say. But I want you to know this. This is my next slide. Something you could write down if you're taking notes is this. Hypocrisy is not failing to live all that you confess to believe. That just, that just, makes, you, uh, just makes you a human. It just makes you a person. Because we all confess all kinds of stuff and we all fall short. All, you could even say this, at, at worst, that makes you a sinner. But it doesn't make you uh, a hypocrite. Uh, being a hypocrite is not knowing the right thing and just doing the wrong thing. That's something that we all do, including even the Apostle Paul. He says, I know to do the right thing and I always do the wrong thing. Anyway, that doesn't make you a hypocrite. Uh, but uh, here's a, maybe an example. How many of you, by a raising of hands, believe that what we are supposed to do, you believe in showing mercy? You believe in being merciful? I do. 
I believe in being merciful. Now, how many of you would say, if you're being totally honest, that occasionally maybe you fail to show mercy? Like both hands up. So that doesn't make you a hypocrite. That just makes you a person. That just makes you a person who wants to be something and you haven't quite reached it um, yet. So hypocrisy is, next slide, hypocrisy is spirituality as a kind of theater. It's spirituality as a kind of theater. And I'll say it like this. It's really easy to confuse hypocrisy and, a big word, discipleship. It's really easy to confuse hypocrisy and discipleship. Discipleship is what we're all trying to be if we're followers of Jesus. We're trying to be disciples of him. We're trying to see how he lives and endeavor to live our life exactly uh, like that. And it's sometimes hard to tell whether or not somebody is being a real disciple or they're being a hypocrite because they are shockingly similar in a lot of ways. Let's just get this out of the way. Nobody in here wants to be a hypocrite. Nobody's waking up in the morning and saying, you know what I want to be is a hypocrite. Nobody's saying that, but hopefully a lot, of, a lot of you, or at least I'll talk about myself, what I want to be is a disciple. And there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of similarities, and I'll say it like this. Both the hypocrite and the disciple are trying to imitate Jesus, both of them. They're both trying to imitate Jesus, but the hypocrite imitates Jesus as like a kind of a role that they play. They do it because they just feel like this is what, and some of them are super good intentioned, but they feel like this is what the Christian thing is to do. And so there's the, oftentimes there's this really sharp contrast between the Christian David and then like the real David. But there is a big part of me that's trying in a lot of ways to be like Jesus. The disciple though imitates Jesus simply because they want to be like him. And so it's a world of difference, even though it looks really similar because both the hypocrite and the disciple are trying to follow Jesus or imitate Jesus. One of them does it because it's a role that they play and the other one does it because they're honestly trying to be like Jesus. Quick example, easy example, Mother Teresa. I'm a big fan. She's one of my heroes uh, in life. And Mother Teresa is known across the entire world for what an amazing disciple of Jesus she was. And she, she will forever go down as one of the most sincere and authentic followers of Jesus that has ever lived. And so she's super well-known, but but Mother Teresa was not playing to the crowd. You know what I'm saying? She was not doing it so that people uh, would see her. She was just doing it because she was an honest disciple. And there's a huge difference, if you can imagine with me in your mind, there's a huge difference between playing Mother Teresa in a play and let's say giving your life and moving to Calcutta, India to work and volunteer at the Home for the Dying. You see how those would be very different, and those would be very different lifestyles. But there are a lot of similarities. I actually have a picture, my next picture here. These are two ladies. Uh, They both, maybe to some of you, they both look very similar to Mother Teresa. Well, one of them The one on the left, this is Sister Nirmala Yoshi, who is the successor of Mother Teresa. When Mother Teresa died, she she took on the rest of her ministry. The one on the right, well, this is Olivia Hussey. Well, she she played Mother Teresa in a 2003 TV movie. So she has no no, uh, allegiance whatsoever. But I do want to just point out that there are some similarities, You know what I mean? And you might not have even been able to tell which one uh, was which before I told you. Uh, Some similarities is this. You could probably tell the outfit is very similar. We call it the habit is very similar. Uh, They both probably at some point in their life or maybe continue to, they've both memorized prayers. 
maybe, maybe even both of them, uh, prayed a lot, a, a lot of time. Uh, but one of them does it for the sake of the audience. You know, the director comes and says, and action! And then they start praying and caring for the poor and loving people and forgiving their enemies. And then the director says, and cut! And then it's pretty much over. But then there's uh, a, the other one. She cares for the dying and the sick and the diseased, whether or not uh, there's an audience. And I just think there's a world of difference there uh, when it comes to the way that we're called uh, to live our life. One imitates Jesus because they want the movie to turn out good. And the other one imitates Jesus, not because it has anything to do with being seen, but it's because they're an honest disciple of Jesus Christ. And I'm just so... Um, I guess, shocked and sometimes so, so taken aback by people that are inspiring to me. And oftentimes it's simply because they're not doing things to be seen by other people. I don't know if you, if you study at all like the life and ministry of Mother Teresa, but it's absolutely um, gut-wrenching in a lot of ways, the way that she's chosen to live her life. There's this place, I already mentioned it, but in Kolkata, uh, India, there's a place called the Home for the Dying. And there's people, it's basically free hospice, in extreme poverty. So if you can imagine what that might look like, um, they don't want you to take a lot of photos on the inside. So I actually had to Google, but I have three photos. Uh, This is um, the home for the dying in Calcutta, India. This is the first one. So these are people who are all, they have various diseases, uh, cancers, injuries. uh, But these are people, all all the people that you can see working, they don't get a dollar. They they do this, um, they go and they've given their life to work for these people and they don't get paid a single cent. They have to go and they go and work here for, you know, 50, 60 hours per week. And then they go work their regular jobs just to support themselves here. Next slide. And so I'm just so amazed um, in so many ways. By the way, if you're curious what the most real Christian you've ever seen in your entire life looks like, it looks probably something like this. There's there's no more reality of following Jesus Christ than this. And I think one of the things that makes it beautiful, at least to me, next slide, is that these are people who are never seen. Like these pictures were not easy to find. I had to look online for a long time. They don't, they don't write about them in Time Magazine. You know what I mean? There's nothing, there's nothing about these people where people are clapping. And I just think me, even as a pastor in America, that I will get so much more praise and recognition that I'm such a devout Christian, so many times more than they will ever receive. And I just think it's so crazy because it's not about real Christianity. And I think there's something on the inside of us that we all know this, that, there's, that it's not about um, being recognized and it's not about doing the right thing so that other people will see how amazing you are, but there's something on the inside of a real disciple that does the right thing whether or not people are watching. I'm just so uh, taken back by that. Christianity as a kind of theater, if it sounds weird, I'll say it like this. Christianity as a kind of theater is extremely common. Everywhere you look, you can see people um, exercising their Christianity, not because it's based on something that's really happening on the inside of them, but it's more like a type of theater. Uh, in fact, I could say this, even in the ministry, or maybe, maybe like this, especially people in the ministry, where it's just... It's just um, unbelievable to me sometimes the pressure that I feel as a pastor to, to sometimes come up here and I, I'm not even thinking about what's real in me and what's happening in me, but there's just where I'm just thinking about like all the time, the crowd, I'm just wanting to play to the crowd and like, what is a strategy here that's going to like make things grow and make people cheer really loud, you know, and there's just this tendency, I think maybe in all of us 
as we follow Jesus, it's so easy to slip into this place where we're very conscious, just more than I want to be, I'm more conscious of the person that's standing right behind me. And whether or not, like, you know what I mean? Maybe I don't want to raise my hands, but I do anyway, because I'm like, they have to know that I'm the best Christian in the room or something. I just think it is so incredibly common, and I'll say it like this, um, playing to the crowd where people recognize you doesn't only have to be uh, in church, but it is one of the ways, sad to say it, I think it's one of the ways that people end up knowing themselves. Really, uh, in, in so many ways, we end up knowing ourselves and what we think about ourselves based on what other people say about us. You know what I mean? And like, there's insecurity if we don't have people who are recognizing that we're amazing and we're courageous, you know, like, like you're a singer and you have to like be fed, and I'm so guilty of this, but you have to be fed like this constant diet of you're the best singer in the world or you like start shriveling up a little bit. We just all have this tendency to uh, play to the crowd. And so when we pray and we give and we fast in the Christian life, there's just a part of us, if we're not careful, that ends up thinking and recycling this over and over and over in our heads. The question is like, are people watching me? And that's ultimate hypocrisy. It's not about believing one thing and doing another. It's about doing the things that you do in the Christian faith, not from a real place, but from a place of you just feeling like that's what you're supposed to do instead of it being something that's really uh, deep. Hypocrisy requires an audience. I just remember that. And so I think that for all of us, especially the people who uh, are are ministers or something, we just have to be aware that when the audience is there, the tendency for so many of us as Christians is to end up playing to the crowd. Jesus comes and he says this, hey, make sure, he says something weird. He says, make sure that uh, you don't blow a trumpet before you give to the poor which I find kind of weird. I, I don't know. I was looking, you know, I don't know if anybody would do, do that back in the day. It just seems odd that they would blow a trumpet uh, before giving to the poor. But I understand what he's saying. I understand because I know me, David Eifert, I really like it when people notice that I'm generous. I love that. I, I love, I, uh, one of my convictions, and I even like telling you this story because it makes me feel good. But one thing that I really like to do is I just have a strong conviction. My wife, Jordan, knows this, that I have a strong conviction that I want to give to a lot of people who are on the street asking for money. And people are like, well, you know, I don't know. Is that smart? Blah, blah. I just like, I just go to where the Bible says, like, give to all who ask. And I just think it's something that's good for me to do. It's one of the ways that I exercise my Christianity. So I'll go to the bank. God, this feels good. See, listen to this. I'll go to the bank, I'll go to the bank and I pull out money. I'll pull out like a couple hundred bucks worth of ones and I just keep them around. That way I always have money uh, to give to the poor. I, I don't know why I just like to do that. But if I'm ever driving in the car, I feel so bad for telling this story, it's so stupid. But when I'm driving in the car and like there's somebody behind me, let's say me and Jesse are going somewhere and uh, he's behind me and he sees when I give, I just love that. There's just something like, ugh. Probably, probably thinks I'm the best Christian in the entire world. Uh, But I'm just reminded that Jesus says this, he says this, if you are motivated to give because of other people seeing you when you give, he's like, that's your reward. And he's not saying anything like horrendous. I just think he's saying this, you got what you came for. You know what I mean? You wanted to to be noticed. You wanted a hand clap and you got it. So there you go. But don't kid yourself in thinking that that has a whole lot to do with me. Don't, don't convince yourself that that is some sort of like interaction with you giving to me or something. He says, that's you giving to receive uh, an award or recognition and, and you got it. So, uh, so you're good. And uh, let me say this, that a disciple 
might be noticed. I think they will. I think Mother Teresa, she, will, she was noticed. And a disciple might be noticed, but they're never acting to be noticed. You know what I'm saying? They're never doing it so that other people will say, wow, that person is such an incredible Christian that the uh, determining factor is simply motive. And where we are, where are our hearts when we're exercising our Christianity? Uh, the motive is this for Christians. We're just generous because God is generous. And in everything that, I, everything that I do on this planet, I want to be like Jesus. And if you see me, then that's cool. And if you don't see me, then that's cool too, because that's not my ultimate uh, motivation. So the, Christian, or the question for the Christian becomes not, uh, am I being noticed? The question for the Christian becomes, am I becoming like Jesus? And if and when you start feeling that you're succeeding in that question, then you start feeling like you've succeeded. So here is uh, my next point or my next thought on the, on the screen uh, is this, and I just think it's true. And it might make you squirm, but it's just true. Since playing to the crowd is such a destructive force in our Christian lives, we have to resist the temptation to make our churches a kind of theater. I squirmed when I wrote it a little bit. But I just think it's so true. I just think people arrive in our churches And when they look around, if what they really see is people who are playing parts, you know what I mean? Where you're playing the pastor part and you're playing the greeter part and you're playing the worship leader part. And you can, you just, I just think you can tell, you know what I mean? I I just feel like there's something on the inside of us that can tell when people aren't being super genuine. And I think in a lot of ways, we as the church, we feel like what we're doing is really helping you know what I mean? Because we're just putting on our game face and we're just doing it anyways and we're just smiling. Um, but man, I, I just feel like people can tell when our Christianity and even our churches is not coming out of a really deep place and it doesn't help them. Um, and in a, in a lot of ways, I feel like it, it makes them feel awkward when uh, they're not okay. An example of that is this. Let's say you were to go to a play. I know you guys are very distinguished people. Let's say you're going to Shakespeare. Uh, you guys all go to Shakespeare, of course, okay. Let's say you go to Shakespeare, as you do, to be noticed, just kidding. Uh, but you go to Shakespeare, and you're, you're there at the play, and then let's just say somebody, it's horrible, but it happens, somebody forgets their line. Ugh, awful. Even, even worse, let's say somebody walks out and they trip and fall on their face. Ugh. Guys, okay, don't you want to die? It's just so horrible. It feels so bad when there's a play and somebody do so, like does something stupid um, because we expect a performance to be perfect. We expect a performance to be perfect. And when it's not, it's just awkward. And I think the same thing is true for our churches. You know? But let's just say, let's just say um, we're not at a play and we're just at real life. We're just at my house hanging out and somebody falls on their face. It's not awkward. You know what you do? Just go help them up. I just think, man, what a picture to me of what church should be and how if, if we're always doing this thing where we're kind of in a, in a way like all pretending and somebody comes in and they're falling and they're failing and they're struggling, it just feels awkward because it feels like they're not supposed to be doing that for some reason. But the opposite is this. If we're just real people, you know what I mean? And we're just honest about who we are and we're not coming into church uh, to pretend to be something other than what we really are. When people come in here and they're broken and they're scared and they're defeated, it's fine. And we just help them up. 
And it doesn't make anybody feel uh, weird because we're not all pretending like we're okay, even though uh, we're not. Uh, we, when we stop expecting people to be perfect, we can, we can help them up because we remember that none of us are perfect and we just remember that failing is part of the journey and we help each other along and nobody feels ashamed. So a brief comment about people who are in the ministry. Now I've got people here. I've got some pastors in here, some worship leaders, um, some youth leaders in here. So a brief comment to us. I think it's extra important for us as people who are in the ministry, extra important for us to know this because we work on a stage of all things. You know what I mean? And we talk on a mic, like we're talking about how horrible it is to be an actor and then we get on stage and talk in microphones. And I understand that there's logistical reasons for that. We want people to be able to hear our voice and depending on what room, you know, they put our faces on the screen and all that. So I understand that. But I just think, um, I just hope that you can see the danger there. I hope you can see what a strong temptation it would be for people who are in the ministry to feel like somehow what we need to do is play to the audience and always come and like, especially, man, God, God, when you are a pastor, I don't know if you guys know this, you probably don't, but man, when you are a pastor, there is such a profound pressure to always act like you have it all together. It's like, it's like unbelievable because, and and they'll say things, the good, good intentioned leadership people will say like, man, nobody's going to follow somebody who's weak, you know? And then it's just like, we just keep playing this thing. And at least in my opinion, people never end up getting helped because we're not at a place where people can show uh, the real se- uh, their real selves, I guess. This is what I wrote. If the problem is playing to the crowd and then for a living, we're singing or preaching to a crowd from a stage, the temptation is always going to simply be to do what people want. I just think, man, I... With everything that is in me as a leader in the church, as somebody who spends no small amount of time thinking about the future of the church and what we're supposed to be uh, when the future comes, I just feel so strongly that all leaders in the church have to resist the temptation to put on the mask because we're not helping anyone. And I think in so many profound ways that actually uh, hurts people. And uh, I, if I'm being honest, I don't feel that that much here <laughs> I don't feel that, that much at Outlet. I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, vulnerable here. I tell you guys all the time. I'm my main um, example of what not to do in my own preaching. It's me. But, uh, so I don't feel that much. I've been very blessed. I think this is a church. I have always felt the freedom to just say whatever I want, if I'm being honest. Like, and that's, that's something that not everybody has. Uh, as my theology and my, uh, my own experience of God has continued to evolve, I've always had pastors that have encouraged me in it. And that's not true for a lot of people. That's not true for a lot of pastors and churches. I'm very grateful of here. But man, I really feel it when I go uh, to other churches. Really feel it in profound ways when I go to other churches. And it's nothing against them. They are perfect and beautiful and doing exactly what they do. But I feel when I go, just this past week, we went to one of the most amazing churches that I know of. Uh, we went to um, ALFC in El Paso. And these people are so great and so encouraging. So they do are, they're doing nothing to uh, incite this in me. But there is just something about the insecurity that's on the inside of me is that I walk into a room and I'm so brutally aware all the time of how different I am than the rest of these pastors. Like, it just feels weird. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just so profoundly different in the way that I talk, in the way that I look. Um, and man, I just start feeling like, my gosh, is there something about me that I need to kind of start doing to be more socially acceptable? You know what I mean? Do I need to start calling people brother? Like, hey, brother. 
I don't know, but these, I'm just trying to think, and it's just such a profound temptation um, to feel that. I just, I just want us to be, as a community, as outlet, I want us to be a community that continually asks ourselves, um, what does Jesus have to say about this? You know what I mean? And what, what is it about our community and what is it about our gathering that's maybe honoring or maybe if we're too fake, maybe even dishonoring uh, to him. And it's, I, I, I would say this. I think that humans emphasize numbers more than Jesus did. And, and there's uh, a part of me that feels like I just want to always be sensitive to him and what he would have us do. Uh, my next slide is this. I just thought it was profound for me personally. What good is it to gain a huge church and lose your soul? You know, like, what good is it to gain this huge following and lose the thing that made you special and honest and real and um, courageous? And I don't think it's mutually exclusive, but man, I just always want to be somebody who uh, is honest and real. And um, if this is not obvious, you must be new, but I'm not good at any of this. I'm, I'm so, I am so, in so many ways, you can ask my beautiful wife, I am so insecure, uh, as a person and as certainly as a preacher, I just totally am. I, I like people tell me, oh, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be. And that's so sweet, but I just am. There's just, there's just a part of me that's like, I leave the stage and nine tenths of me is like, do people think the joke was funny? And I'm just nervous and I'm thinking, oh, was communion good? And I, there's just, I'm just always recycling this. I tell people that like self-loathing is just part of being a preacher. And I don't think that that's true for everybody. I think it's just true for <laughs> People like me who are a little bit crazy. Um, but I'm not, good. I'm not good at being free from the pressure of um, wanting people's approval and need it. Like, like that, is, that is me in so many uh, ways, but I'm growing. And what I'm really wanting to do is this, to simply just have a ministry that I believe in my own heart that Jesus would respect. And, and you know, whatever you, this is probably a weird analogy, but I want to really picture like Jesus if Jesus was sitting in the front row, what would he think about our service? And I don't think he would be like, oh, God, it's the best service I've ever been to. David, that was the best preaching I've ever heard in my entire life. I don't think he would, would say anything like that, but maybe it would just be something about uh, who we are and how we gather that would be honoring to him. And it would be something uh, that he would respect. Uh, Jesus doesn't sit in the front row, so I just have Jordan. So I'm just always trying to impress Jordan. <laughs> she tells me. I always, we always go into the car yeah, we're walking out, you know, we're just being cool and like shaking everybody's hands, but she knows that I'm dying to hear what she thought about my sermon. She's like, I don't even have to ask her. I just look at her. She says, it was good. I can only imagine. It's draining. <laughs> but man, I, 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 just, I just think it's profound, even in a really simple way about Jesus is saying this, all the things that you do in the Christian life be it giving, be it praying, be it fasting, be it forgiving, be it reading your Bible, just make sure that you're not doing it to impress other people. Um, because if that's what you're doing, just know this, that's, you got what you came for. But don't, but don't act like that's some beautiful interaction with me. And then I compare it to the, to the people who work at the house for the dying, you know what I mean, who do it not because anybody notices them, because nobody notices them. But there's something that's deep, and I just want to be, uh, I guess, like that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, we'll read it one more time, says this. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. 
Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So I'm hoping that some of you guys in here have begun to notice a subtle but somewhat serious problem uh, here, especially when this sermon is contrasted with last week's sermon, uh, Salt, where I was talking about the incredible importance to be seen by the world doing good deeds. I'll remind you, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said this like a few verses earlier, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Is that, is that weird to anybody? I just think, what? Like, why? What? Did, he, did, did he forget what he said, you know, a few sentences before or something like that? I, I don't think that, but it's interesting because Jesus has this interesting paradox going in on the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, hey, make sure to let your good works be seen. And then he says this, make sure that you don't do your good works in order to be seen. And it's just so uh, interesting. Um, I believe this, the solution is ultimately found in the motivation. Jesus wants our good works to be seen by the world, but he doesn't want us to be doing good so that other people can see it. Good works need to be seen, but they're never done to be seen. I have a pastor friend, and he says it like this. I think it's really uh, beautiful and profound. He says this, righteousness needs to be hidden, not from others, but from ourself. Righteousness needs to be hidden, not from others, but from ourself. Jesus kind of says it like this. I always thought it was a weird thing to say. He says, make sure that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. So you don't think that was kind of an odd thing to say. But I think in a, in a way, it's a really good and healthy thing to have a certain lack of self-consciousness about your own uh, good deeds. You know what I mean? Where you're not really profoundly proud of how giving you are all the time but there's just something that's just like, it's just, it's just how you are. You know, in the Christian life, we are supposed to hopefully be learning some skills. That's kind of one of the ideas here. We're supposed to be learning how to pray and forgive and show mercy and be generous. But the, uh, the goal or the hope is this, that those things just become your nature. They become part of uh, who you are. Uh, and it's not like, wow, look at this amazing thing that I did. When you think about a, a little kid, let's say there's a little kid and let's say they draw a picture, they're a brother and they have a sister, let's say they draw a little picture or something. And so then they'll make sure their mom sees them and then like gives it to their sister, like this is a gift. And it's like, here, Emma, or here, Annie. <laughs> and, uh, and the mom is like, wow, can you, I can't believe how generous you are. That's so amazing. You're just the best boy in the world. I'm so proud of you. You're so generous. You're so wonderful. And the kid's just like on cloud nine. She's like, I'm so giving. I'm so generous. Um, I think mature generosity doesn't have any of that self-consciousness in it. I just think it's just who you are. It's not this like, look at me, I'm so generous. I can't even believe how generous I'm being right now. I think about riding a bike, you know, the first time you start to ride a bike and your dad's behind you and like lets the thing go and it's like, I'm riding a bike. Ah. But you're very aware for those few seconds that you are riding a bike. It's really great. But maybe after you've been riding a bike for like 15 years, you're not like super aware that you're riding a bike. You're just doing it. You're just riding the bike. Or like skiing, my dad taught me how to ski really 
soon. You really, you know, no poles. They're just the little kids that fly by you. So we, we were skiing super early, but when we first ski, it's like, I'm skiing. I'm like, I can't believe I'm skiing. And then you crash or whatever. But after you've been skiing for like 20 years, you're just skiing. You know what I mean? Or like a third example. I don't need three. I could have just done with two. But third one, <laughs> I think you get it. Driving a car. Uh, so if you're driving a car, you know, the first time you drive the car by yourself, you're so aware but man, picture me now, like I've having driven for 15 years, you know what I mean? And going and like rolling up to a, a stoplight and rolling down my window and being like, can you guys see this? I'm driving a car. It's unbelievable. I'm driving a car. It's cool at first, but after a while, it just becomes second nature. It just becomes part of who you are. Uh, and, and the hope is this, that um, all of those Christian disciplines become that same way. So when we give, when we pray, when we forgive, when we love our enemies, it's not something where it's like all of our effort to do that. It's just, uh, it's just kind of second nature. It's not just, look at me, I'm forgiving. Like we're so shocked and so proud of ourselves. We're just a forgiver. That's just who, that's just who we are. And when we're true to who uh, God has made us, I believe this, the world will notice. People will notice. Again, Mother Teresa is world famous but she was in no way uh, playing to the crowd. And that is exactly what makes it so inspiring. The thing that makes Mother Teresa so breathtaking to me is this, that she, precisely because she wasn't playing to the crowd. You contrast that with some like politician who comes out and you know, does a report that they gave $15 million to charity. It's like, like, who cares? Like I respected you more before you told me, you big dork. Like I don't care at all. Because I know, I know that those politicians are playing to the crowd. And I know that the reason that they're acting so, um, so giving and so selfless is not because that's something that's deep on the inside of them, but they're playing to the crowd. Like their, their advisors have told them that what they need to do is act like they're more into charitable giving. So then they give and they make sure that the world knows. And it just, I think the second that you become aware, the second that we learn that people's motivation is to play to the crowd is the second the spirit of it leaves. It's the second that we like stop being impressed by that. Worship leaders, I think, are so amazing. We have so many amazing worship leaders in here. Part of what makes them amazing to me is that I know that they're, that they're doing it and they're being real because I know, I know them. But if, if there's ever a worship leader and I just know that this is not how they are, they're nothing like this in person, but then all of a sudden they come up here and they're gentle and they're sensitive to the spirit, you know what I mean? But I know they're just faking. It's not a blessing to me. In fact, I hate it. In fact, it like really, um, really bugs me in so many uh, different ways. So how do we grow in this as we close? I think it's a little bit tricky in how to grow in not looking at yourself as much because the solution, of course, is not to think about thinking about yourself less because it doesn't work. You can't stop thinking about something by thinking about not thinking about it. Did I say that right? Okay. Like, don't think about an elephant. Don't think about an elephant. Of course you thought about an elephant. Because you, you can't not. So I think the solution is not to just try to think about yourself less, but it's learning to pay attention to something else. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like I'm seeking in my Christian life, I'm deliberately turning my attention to God because I want, I want his opinion of me to matter. And at the end of the day, if maybe you didn't like my sermon, but I'm able to go home and feel like maybe he liked my sermon, uh, then I'm fine with that. And don't get me wrong, I'm not but I'm trying to be. I'm, I'm going there. I, right now, I need you guys to like it too. But I'm trying. 
but I am working in my own life. I'm working to turn my attention to God and having his opinion of me and what I do in this life be really important. And secondly, I turn my attention to other people and not in a way of like, what do you think about me? But instead turning my attention to you in that like, how can I serve you? And, and, and I'm actually concerned uh, about you. I've told you about my own insecurities. I did a wedding yesterday. Yesterday I did a wedding. And um, in the past I've, I've done weddings and then I'm instantly like the bride and groom leave and they're so happy. And I'm just like waiting for somebody to tell me if they thought my ceremony was good. This is just so sick. God, this is sick. <laughs> I just hope people liked my sermon. Um, and I was kind of being cognizant of it yesterday and that I was really, when people would come up to me and say, because there's people who are sweet, they always want to say something. I was very quick to instantly say, oh my gosh, what a great day. Look at this venue. They seem so happy. Oh my gosh, I'm just so honored. Isn't it, wasn't it great? God, like this, the weather worked out or blah, blah. But I'm trying to like deflect when people are spending a lot of time on me just because I'm working in my own heart to like be more concerned about other people uh, than I am about myself and my own self-esteem uh, as a Christian. Um, and so we're going to prepare, uh, we're preparing for communion as we always do as we close. Um, and I want to say something here at the very end of the sermon that may or may not shock you, especially some of you um, older people in the crowd might shock you, but John Wayne was not a real cowboy. <laughs> Did you know that? Do young people even know who John Wayne is? He's a cowboy guy. I don't know if he ever did. He was an actor. I don't know if he ever did anything that wasn't a cowboy. Was he? Okay, he did. Okay. But most, mostly he was a cowboy. But he was not, in real life, he was not a real cowboy. The guy lived in Malibu. But man, he wasn't a real cowboy. Um, but man, he sure looked the part. Boy, he sure looked like he was like into six shooters and... What else? I can't think of anything. Forks? Horses? Wild West? <laughs> um, but man, it seemed like he was so legitimately, like I thought growing up, like he just seemed like a, probably a real cowboy guy, even if he was playing on one TV, but he was not a real cowboy. And I just think about the Christian faith and I think about you and I think about me, uh, outlet 2016. And I just want us to all maybe open our heart to this idea. Like the goal of the Christian faith is not to be a great actor. It's not to win a, an Oscar, but it's to be a real cowboy. You know what I mean? It's, it's not to try to learn how to act like Christians are supposed to act. Like I, if, if I'm being honest, I don't know if this is smart or not, but there is so much of me that would love that, man, maybe you come to this church, maybe you come to Outlet for 15 years and you just don't care anything about raising your hands in worship. Some people do, some people don't. If you don't care anything about that, my heart would honestly be really glad for you just to not do that. You know what I mean? Because it's not only, it's not only this. And if this is not something that speaks to you, like you don't have to learn to pretend. You know what I mean? You don't have to be like, well, Travis does it. So I guess I have to do it. it. That doesn't honor God. The way that we honor God is by first and foremost knowing this, that he sees what's going on in here. And then when all of these outward movements happen, all of these outward expressions of our Christian faith happen, it's just something that's a reflection of the inside. But if we start working even a little bit, if we start working on developing an exterior that looks like a Christian and it's separate from something that's on the inside. I think that's the moment we step into hypocrisy. 
and it stops honoring God in the same way. And um, yeah, it's just, I don't want people to look at David Eifert, and hopefully you would agree with me on this in your own life. I don't want people to look at David Eifert and say, boy, that guy is better at acting like a Christian than anybody. He's the best Christian acting guy I know. Like as soon as he, you know, he, he's a regular guy, he's Clark Kent down on the ground, but then as soon as he grabs the microphone, he like becomes Superman. Like that's the opposite of what I want. Like I don't want, I don't want there to be anything that's in me that's on this microphone or in this church or in these church services or when I go out and give to people. I don't want any of that to be separate from the reality of what God is doing on the inside of me. And I want there to be always that connection uh, with him. Uh, my last slide, I just thought it was, it spoke to me and I hope it does to you. But my prayer is this, may our sermons be preached mostly by the lives we live. And not because we know people are watching, but because we're real Christians, because we're real cowboys. And I just think there's so much freedom to be found in knowing this and remembering this, that God doesn't want you to be an actor. So you don't have to come in here having psyched yourself up to put on the Christian Travis. You know what I mean? You just come in here and you're just Travis. You just come in here. I just, I'm just David. Sometimes I'm holding a microphone, sometimes I'm not, but I'm just David. I'm just, I'm just Chandler, you know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just Deb. I'm just who I am, and all of my Christian faith is just an experience, uh, it's just an um, extension, I guess, of that. And is there anything more damaging than people coming to church and acting? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, is there anything that we could do to further discredit the cause of Christianity and the cause of Christ than coming in here and putting on fake faces? You know what I mean? Like the world has had enough of that. And it's one of the reasons that they don't want anything to do with us. And so I just think we need to be free. And even though it's scary to show the real you and not the feel the need to pretend, I think God is able to use us in surprising ways uh, when we open up to him. I watched the, uh, this documentary on Chris Farley. You guys remember Chris Farley? Big guy, comedian, super hilarious. He had this documentary and he just seems larger than life. He's so amazing. He's so confident. They talked about like he was just the life of the party. So amazing. All the girls loved him, which is true because he could just make them laugh. Um, but man, like he would go home and he was deeply and profoundly insecure. There was something that was so unbelievably unsure about himself. Um, and that's not me saying anything bad. It, it, he would say as much. And you, it's weird when you look and you see some of these really famous actors and actresses that really succeed in that, they would tell you the same thing, that there is so much insecurity um, that oftentimes come with people who are like given to the life of like spending a lot of time where you're fake. You know what I mean? And so there's something that, that connects them. And I appreciate art. I appreciate movies. I appreciate TVs. But so I'm just talking about real life. But man, there's this tendency uh, for a lot of us, and I'm including myself in this, there's a tendency for some of us to want to pretend and to need to come in here or need to go and live your life in a way that would make people think, wow, Exilda, look at that amazing Christian. And, and there's just, I think, attached to that kind of living is this really deep insecurity that I think Jesus wants to heal you from or of. You know, that, that there's something... Um, there's something on the inside of us that needs to just be okay with being who we really are and not playing uh, to the crowd. I wrote this down. Let's be a community that's filled with real life people. 
then when people fall, we don't feel awkward because we're not expecting to people, people to be perfect. Instead, we're just a community where we help people up. And when they're, when they're broken and when they're unsure of who they are, that's fine because that sounds like a lot of us. And no matter what community you go into, even if they're all acting, they're all insecure and they're all broken in so many ways. So it's not like there's something that's unique except just being honest about it. And I think people find new life and God being able to work in surprising ways um, when we take off the masks and we're not afraid to show who we really are. So tonight we come to the table um, of the Lord and at Outlet, we're really obsessed with this, especially in just this one moment, even in our services. In this one moment, we just want you to be exactly who you are. This is one of those moments where it's like, you're gonna feel like you're gonna wanna pray in the spirit and people are gonna be able to hear you. It's gonna be real impressive. But in this moment, just, just be exactly who you are. And if you want, if you wanna pray out loud to God, you can. And if you don't, you can't. If you wanna close your eyes, you can. But man, just, just be in this moment. Realize that God knows exactly who you are already. And the thing that really matters, especially in this moment, because we're all not judging, is just you and him. So just be confident and be um, maybe relaxed as you spend a moment with him being exactly as you are. Let's go ahead and pass. This is the invitation to communion I'd like to read to you. It says this, this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. 
So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. So come to the table. So Jesus, tonight we say that we believe in you and you're the savior of the world. And tonight we remember your death and we proclaim your resurrection and we await your return. We remember your death, we proclaim your resurrection and we await your return. To you tonight, my brothers and sisters, Jesus is saying this, this is my body that's broken for you and this is my blood that's poured out for you. Do this and remember me. So let's eat the bread and drink from the cup together. to Jesus tonight, we would ask that you save us uh, from the temptation to be actors. Such an easy tendency to come in here and play games and pretend like we're people that we're not, but we want there to be something on the inside of us that's real and it's truly devoted to you. And whether or not people are watching, we want to be people who honor you with our lives. I just feel like there's people in this room, you know, that have insecurities that they wouldn't even begin to know how to talk about. And I just believe, Father, with my brothers and sisters in here, that you are giving us reassurance of who you are and who we are in you. Help us to always live in the freedom of not having to impress other people, but just knowing that you're proud of us already and we love you. Help us to live true to that. We say thank you. It's in your son's name. Everybody said, amen. Amen.